0: Yeah. Charles was taken hostage.
1: Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Is that okay? Yeah,
0: I was never taken hostage, but I got extremely close to being taken hostage. Well, you oh, know, I wow. thought, wow. Kind of, but, but what? you were like, were we like hunkered down? Oh yeah. We were, I mean, we were, we were saying our final prayers. Like uh, it was, it was it, like we were now, is this something you're under ambush about? from four different angles. Cause I
2: mean, for the rest of us, it's kind of James Bond, fascinating stuff. Like, you know, that movie Argo or something. It sounds like,
0: yeah, I mean, that's, it's just what I do for a living. Um, so it's stuff that kind of rocky stuff happens. And when you when you dismiss before. it like that,
1: like mm-hmm. yeah, it's just what I do for a living. That just
3: yeah, all right, Jason Bourne,
1: don't uh, show off. So I've <laughs> seen that movie Argo, and now
3: that's what he does for a living. This is wow, well, <laughs> Wait a minute now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> where were you in, in Democratic Republic of Congo? Of the Congo, yeah. Where? We were up in the highlands okay. in a place called. The...
1: The Mr. Market Podcast is a production of Sphere Wealth Management. Sphere is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Sphere and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principle. No advice may be rendered by Sphere unless a client service agreement is in place. To see our ADV or get additional information about Sphere. Visit our website, www.spherewealth.com. Firm information is also available on the SEC's website, www.advisorinfo.sec.gov. Before investing, seek advice from a financial professional, preferably one that acts as fiduciary and is willing to put that in writing. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or send up for email commentary to our website, spherewealth.com. This is the Mr. Market Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. And what happened? Like the coup occurred, right? Or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, we, we, yeah.
0: Okay. So what happened was, what, what what is always happening in the Congo is that people are paid to employ violence for, uh, toward the ends of political gains. And this one area is highly contested for a reason that would take a minute to explain, but like people pay these militias to go in and wreak havoc in order to make other politicians look bad. Um and so what they'll do is they'll go and make incursions. They'll set a few villages on fire, steal cows, commit other acts of violence, and then they'll leave. But when we were there, the problem was the militias employed a tactic that even the locals had never seen, and that was attacking our area from four different angles and and thereby overwhelming the army of the of the R C. And we thought they were going to fall. Um, oh wow! And we thought they had fallen, and and it was. Uh, we got to the point where we were ready to, to flee into the bush with all the locals. And like at the last minute, it, they, they held the line. Um, but yeah, it was, <laughs> I've been in a lot of war zones all over the world. That was the most scared I've ever been.
2: Not like it's safe out in the bush probably either, right? Getting eaten by lions or <laughs> pythons or, or what, you know, correct? I mean, am I, yeah.
0: it's, I mean, saying? it's not really what you think. It's not like, the jungle uh, up in the highlands, you know, because it's so high, you don't have that real thick vegetation, but it is, you know, you're, it's, it's a two or three day walk to this, to the nearest like big city. So we were going to be, yeah. Yeah. And that's if we didn't encounter more rebels. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. So now you, you get there.
0: Mm -hmm. What are you doing now? Can you say what you're doing there? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, what are you doing? So, Forgotten Song is the organization I started 11, 12 years ago. And what we do is we seek to partner with local leaders um, and, and, and thought innovators in war torn countries to help develop peace building plans for, um, like for their area. And so, I, as a PhD in conflict analysis and resolution, as well as the director of my NGO, We'll go in and you know I will avail our resources and our strategies and our networks and I'll say what are your ideas for peace? How do you want to go about this? And that's where my organization steps in and says um, we're listening. Um, and so the Congo is one of the most unstable, rocky, unbelievably violent places in the world, um, and a big part of what is, is uh, they employ child sorry, okay. they employ child soldiers. Um, okay. And so that's, so we wanted to go up and say, you know, h- how do we move towards peace with you guys? Um, and they said, well, let's, let's, you know, we're going to take you, um, and, and, and you're going to learn kind of like what exactly it is that we're, we're living through. So the, U- the United Nations actually, um, gave us a free lift on one of their helicopters and they dropped my team off, um, in the Highlands and like they took off. And the moment the helicopter engine, um, no longer be heard we started hearing the gunfire um, that was like 10 miles away and the locals were like it happens all the time like don't worry (laughs) Um, so we were meeting with local leaders we were hearing business ideas we were um, you know going to like this like newly founded clinic and a university and like seeing all these things that they were building for themselves in the middle of one of the worst you know active civil wars in the world Mm-hmm. But the problem was the gunshots were getting louder hour by hour and, and we kept getting reports like they're, they're getting closer. And like this, you know, this line has fallen. It gave way. Now, and now does
1: everybody speak English? Now are they speaking English there? French. Uh, so
0: who, so you, and I know you speak a lot of everything. Yeah. I, I picked up on a lot of things, but I never go anywhere without somebody who speaks fluent English and, and the local language. So, uh, and it was a local leader okay. that was, it was the president of the university actually there that was, um, that was te- taking us around. He's he's what's considered to be like a, a really big man, um, meaning like he has do a lot of influence, connections, and stuff. So, um, gotcha. we employed some really cool things there, and our work in the Congo persists. We've launched five different projects there, and it's been, um, it's it's honestly just been so incredibly rewarding, and we keep going back because it's just it's just what we do. You know, the wow. the danger is. The, the danger is why we go, and so it's just part of the job, and I don't mean to like sound flippant about that because these are people's lives. It's not our lives. We just get back on the helicopter and leave. Um, so well, see i went to I went to Africa,
1: I went to Accra, uh, never felt safer, spent a couple of days on the beach, um had some very nice steak dinners, uh, you know, and i I kind of acted to Charles like I told Charles like, yeah, man, I went to Africa too. You went to Africa, me too. I mean, no. Ghana is, it was cool. It, it was cool. And Accra was, Accra is, is an incredible city. Ghana is, I guess, a lot more stable
0: than Congo. I think,
1: is Ghana the most stable uh, country in that region?
0: I, I would say of, of the sub-Saharan African nations, Ghana is probably among the top five, um, like okay. leading in, in their like innovation, development and, and thought and things like that.
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a metropolis. I mean, it was, it was every bit of being in you know San Jose, Costa Rica, which is a place I actually travel with Charles. And if you're not sure who we have on the podcast with us today, it's Dr. Charles Davidson, professor of conflict analysis and resolution at the Carter School at George Mason University. He's also the founder of Forgotten Song and current director, right? Still the director of Forgotten yeah. Song? That's awesome. He is a D.C. resident, so he lives in Washington DC um but he does have a cabin in West Virginia and you and Abby his wife Abby uh which um if there was ever a book written about out kicking your coverage Charles would be the one that, that it would be about uh but his wife Abby um and Charles you guys spend a lot of time there now yeah, right
0: yeah I mean, especially during this pandemic we we escape Capitol Hill quite often uh but but then we start missing yeah, the city it's like a great place to escape <laughs> yeah it's great yeah. It's great yeah. yeah
2: especially this last six months or so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Good for place to sure. yeah, sure. yeah. So, uh, so tell mm-hmm. us now forgotten song, you kind of started to, to lead into mm-hmm. it. Where did that come from? W- w- and, and I think, were you in college when you founded forgotten song? I was, or? yeah.
0: Um, I had been traveling the world as a young guy, um, oftentimes with like church missions and things like that. And kind of recognizing mm-hmm. the, the gap in, outreach in war-torn countries and um even though bolivia is not a war-torn country i was in bolivia mm-hmm. um, we were inside of a prison there um like serving the the underage population uh, living in the prison with their parents we brought them like backpacks and um and things to just kind of like you know recognize that you know you're seen you're known about and um i just really felt like you know it's these, these kids were living in prison with their parents and i i, I I felt like you know, um, God speaking to me, saying these these kids are paying the price of their parents' crimes, and so I came home and I just couldn't shake that thought. And I said, "Where else are our kids paying the price of their parents' crimes?" And I I remember it's like one of the very first times I really Googled something. You know, it was like twelve years ago. <laughs> and um, yeah, and what what you know the search returned was all these war torn countries. And so I was a young guy, I was single, I didn't have any you know real obligations. So I spent the next four to five years traveling to living in and working in the world's war-torn countries. Um, and so Forgotten Song was born from that kind of education that I gave myself and the blessing that I had to have people support that endeavor.
2: Yeah. Were you were you um, kind of a, acting in a missionary capacity when you were doing that? Did you have like like churches and stuff sponsoring you? Is that um, how you would so, survive financially? So ch- no.
0: Um, churches never we, – we've had a few churches and we still do have – Um, one church support my organization, but it was, um, more just me, uh, getting the word out, advertising our mission and having individuals Mm -hmm. support and the organization. Yeah. And it, and it was always like, um, every time we would get enough money, we'd go somewhere else. And so it started out kind of like with a a missional sort of mindset, but we've always been a secular organization, you know, legally speaking. Okay.
1: Yeah. That experience that you had, did that lead you into conflict analysis and resolution? Because you were an anthropology major in college, is that correct? My master's
0: degree is in anthropology. I was an international relations major. at gotcha.
1: The bachelor's degree. My apologies. <laughs> so a master's in anthropology. Yeah. Where, did, where did you decide, when did you decide, I'm going to do conflict mm-hmm. analysis and, and resolution? Yeah. Watching, is there a, is watching, there a conflict analysis and dissolution
2: watching an MMA fight
1: right you just said, uh,
2: somebody needs to somebody
1: get in there somebody and needs to down McGregor needs to chill yeah, out. I'm kind of like a referee
0: but 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 cooler <laughs> but with a doctorate <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 not missing
0: anything uh, so so when did that happen how um, did you how did how did that come about My wife and I were in Iraq um, working on Forgotten Songs first project we had launched it and I was a young guy she was a, a young woman and um, we had done this and, and I, even though the project was successful and, and the mission in that particular instance was was complete, I got done with that project. I It was serving internally displaced women and children in Iraq with uh, sustainable uh, daycare models so the women could work without having to, you know, burden themselves financially with finding childcare. And what I realized was like, oh my gosh, like I got lucky or blessed or however you want to look at it, but I have got to know more about what I'm doing, like how to approach the cultures that I'm working among, like how to develop business models, how to understand what I'm going about and not just, you know, not just being from America and, and bringing money. It, it's not going to sustain itself. So I, I went into yeah. my master's degree in anthropology to try and pursue a better understanding of culture and, and like intercultural relations.
1: Yeah. You need to tell the Fed that, that just bringing money, and being from America doesn't it does doesn't solve, solve the problems. Problem. Yeah. The people and
2: your crazy <laughs> ideas now don't be bringing out a <laughs> money
1: and Americans will fix everything. Right, right,
2: right. <laughs> like shoot the big money gun. Out. But from there, so, sorry,
0: trust keep going. Well, I, but that's but that's the truth. Um, I got done with my master's degree, and long story short, I was like, no, I want to know more. I I, I want to be. I want to lead. I want to help lead the field in in these thoughts. And, and the way to go about that was um, applying to what was my dream school, which is the it was the School for Conflict Analysis and Resolution at George Mason. It's now the Carter School. Best decision I've ever made as far as geography and yeah. education is concerned.
1: You guys get a pretty cool experience being in D.C. Yeah. What's that been like? What's that What's that experience been like for you? Because you're from Jonesboro. <laughs> I'm right? from
0: Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, actually. Walnut Walnut <laughs> right. Ridge, the bustling metropolis of Walnut Ridge. <laughs> we were Ridge. the county seats. No, Peggy Carter was from there. Oh, yeah. Who, who was <laughs> uh, Peggy oh, Carter, no, the great Peggy Carter. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Yeah, you do. Everybody knows Peggy Carter. Come on, I don't know. I don't know Peggy Carter. It's just an old friend
3: of yours.
2: It's a friend of ours. <laughs> uh, oh, a friend and of Terry's. I it was somebody famous.
1: Friend and of. And your Terry. Uh, and your wife is from Coeur d'Alene? Close. I don't think that's right. Moscow, Idaho. I, I think that that's near. Ne- it's uh, in Idaho. Yeah, yeah it's where? it's near. She's from Moscow, Idaho.
0: It's it's everybody knows Coeur d'Alene, but they're actually I think about ninety miles south of there. So two kids
1: from the uh, from the big city uh, get married and move to D.C. What's that been like?
0: Professionally, it was amazing because for, for Forgotten Song, at least I went from being the only fish in the pond, you know, in a place like Arkansas that is working exclusively in war zones or war-torn countries to being one of the smallest fish in the biggest pond. Um, and so I had everything to learn. I had everything to discover and, and refine and get better. Um, and then that was complemented by my education, earning a PhD with the privilege of being able to focus on what I was already passionate about, um, just, you know, blended into, for me, just I'm living the dream. Like, you know, it's, it's what a lot of people sort of wish for, to be able to marry your passion to your profession. And I'm, I'm like deep in the heart of that. And every day I get up and I love what I do and it's just, it's, it's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Well, I've witnessed that. Um, I'm glad that you're passionate about about conflict resolution because I think I think I'm the opposite. I think I am passionate about conflict. Disresolution. What's the po- what's the opposite of resolution? You're just passionate about conflict. I just, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm passionate about conflict. Right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
3: trying to figure out how you and Charles are such good friends. Yeah, and I'm
2: because to Charles out. is patient yeah. and he sees John as a yeah. project. Yeah, He's, exactly. he's been working on me a long time. He's been, him time.
1: Him. He's been okay. working on me a long time here. That's fine. So, uh, that's well, you know, get on the and stick.
2: And Charles finished
1: up the job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man, that's that's awesome. We uh, we're so glad to have you in. Yes, this yeah. is looking forward to this conversation we're about to have and and we want to talk about emerging markets you know we've talked about emerging markets as an asset class before i know that there's some political risk which you're going to have significantly more knowledge in as an investment you know emerging markets has been very very profitable for a lot of people I believe year to date, just the other day it was up uh, it was up pretty handsomely, but I think it's pulled back significantly pulled
3: back up about three point eight year to date, uh, but thirty six percent over the last twelve months, so yeah it's well, had a really good run, but kind of pulled back here recently yeah,
1: and I think a lot of that just being a risk off trade right now, Keith, is that I think we we're, we're getting some indication of the market's going to get choppy here. I think we've had a really nice run, especially in growth stocks.
2: Yeah, kinda. Market's
1: going to get choppy, so maybe a risk-off trade?
2: I think so, yeah. See, it looks like some stuff's kind of maybe unwinding a little bit. Uh-huh. But, you know, I've said that before, and then just like, yeah. bam, it stops, and then immediately just gets revved
1: right back up again. So, I know we had this conversation, um, a very similar conversation last summer. Yeah, so.
2: yeah. We, we we did have a little sell-off in September. Yeah, and, and so we thought, okay, here's the thing we've been looking for, and it just psh, the sell yeah. off, the, the risk off just petered out, and then it was off to the races.
3: So this, this anyway, is yeah. it, though. I think, this, think this is it? it. You think so? I okay. do. I, I mean, I don't have a crystal ball, but I just think right. this is it. Yeah.
1: Well, before we get there, we got a couple of uh, we got a couple of topics that I want to go through. And Charles, please comment as much as you want on these topics. These are just kind of things that are happening here recently. Do you want to talk about inflation, Charles? Are you are you feeling that? I, I, we can. We can talk about
0: whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> we, we talk about inflation. I,
1: I bet that's you know. I mean that that's
2: a real deal in in Africa. Uh, have you spent any time in Zimbabwe?
0: I have not. But but inflation. I mean, you write a chapter about many conflict affected nations. One of the chapters is going to be about economic inflation. You know, we we led in with the nonprofit um, stuff, which is like what I love to talk about. But but more of my time is spent in. In teaching and researching and developing our programs at the university as well. So, in case they're wondering, like, why are they talking to this guy who, who directs a nonprofit?
1: Um, they've actually asked me to come apply to that school several times. Conflict resolution. They think that I'm going to be good. So John, you've them. actually taught a class. If or? you don't, if you don't uh, uh, oh yeah, that's right. I did teach a class one day. So I so when I went out to see. Uh, I went out to D.C. to see Charles and Abby, and uh, I was. Charles was like, "Hey, you want to go to?" class with me tomorrow? I got, I got class. I was like, yeah, dude. And so on the way there, we're riding in the car. He's like, Hey, you want to teach the class?
2: <laughs> really? I, like, I wish we'd have
1: it. Oh, i man. want to be a fly on the wall there. <laughs> they were actually giving a test. He was, he was giving a test that day. And so he said, hey, I'll tell you what, walk in and say that the test is going to be on this topic and then just make it up. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever they argue with you, be like, I'm sorry. This is what the instructions say. And so sure. I'm not, the substitute <laughs> teacher. You're the substitute. Yeah. Yeah. There's a
2: substitute privilege. Oh, yet. it
1: was it was hysterical. It down. The, there, there, was, there was a girl that almost started crying. <laughs> and there was a guy that basically was putting his stuff in his bag to leave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and Charles walked in and he was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 is it is a, a joke. joke? It's a joke." Come but Charles on. knows I wasn't gonna let it go. Well, like no, I was I gonna, can, I was gonna walk. You were very
3: convincing. Oh, I was gonna is, let him yeah. walk right out the door. No yeah. problem. Yes. Well,
1: like, that guy just needed an excuse
2: to
3: <laughs> go pop yeah. a beer. Yeah, right? yeah, like, exactly like, back to the frat <laughs> house. Exactly he's right. like, I don't know what the other stuff was about, and I don't know what he's talking about. So All I needed was
0: an excuse to go drink. It was
1: awesome. Well, um, yeah, so inflation is, obviously, it's been a fear for a long time here. I think we've been talking about inflation for about the last four or five Mm -hmm. years, and we just haven't really seen it. Now, we've seen it in asset prices. We haven't seen it in consumer prices as much. We're starting to see some of that right Mm -hmm. now, right, Keith?
2: Yeah, gas at the pump's a little bit higher lately, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, wood, timber, lumber prices have gone up a lot. I think some of the grains are up. I yeah. don't have any specifics right this second. But, I'll tell you, but smoothies,
1: just, a tropical smoothie, they're up. They're up big, you know? <laughs> really? $8 no. for a smoothie. No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. $8? Oh, yeah. $8. See, I
2: don't know that because I'm not a big I enough sucker to spend you know, $8 well, on a beverage. Don't,
1: and that's the thing is there's really no prices on the wall. You just, like, you say you want this particular smoothie. And, and then they say $8, and you start thinking, like you're thinking about it as you're giving them money. <laughs>
2: What'd you put in there? Powdered gold? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I think they do put powdered gold in there now. That, that's good yeah. for you. It's got to be good for you. We are starting to see those those early signs. The, yeah. the red flags are going up, yep. uh, especially in commodity prices. I don't know that Powell coming out and saying it today is the reason why the market's down. I think the market's down because it just needed to take a breather. Some, it's, yeah, it, sometimes it's, it's just, just feels like that's the excuse. Yeah. You
2: know, that everybody needs everybody. You know, the the, politi- the market commentators need to pin it on something. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, well, you know, what he said. Yeah. But it does look like when you look at a chart of today, right about eleven o'clock hour time, the market just went straight down. Mm-hmm. And so it you was know, it a, about a nine hundred point reversal. To, yeah, from peak to bottom, it looked like it was about a nine hundred point decline. Ooh. I mean, we, I think we were down. Seven hundred and something at the worst, maybe. But anyway,
1: Charles and I were hiking in Costa Rica once, and and I and I'll never forget this because whenever you're, you know, you're out with your friends and and your buddies, and, and Charles is standing on the edge of this. It's called the the cloud forest, and you're literally hiking in a cloud. So I just want you to imagine like the the sheer, you know, verticality of this this mountain that we're standing on for it to be inside of a cloud, and then we're standing right on the edge of this overlook. And we're leaning on Charles, so like we're all just kind of leaning on him and and after we walked away, we took a picture you know for for Instagram, and then after we walked away, I started thinking, man, if we fall, like you're in a cloud you're n- it's, it's a long way down, <laughs> but it'd be
2: soft and fluffy oh
1: it, it, it didn't it Not didn't for look, long it didn't look that soft and fluffy down there, like that same feeling that you get right there that's what people in the market are starting to feel, yeah, starting to feel that little that little tension that little you know that little squeeze in your in your in your stomach. So, another thing that happened today. I don't know if you caught this, Charles. Have you seen the SpaceX stuff? How much how much pay, how much attention have you paid to SpaceX? Uh,
0: are you it's talking financially or what they've been doing like with their actual like, well just what they've been doing? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching every single one of their touchdowns land and then and explode upon impact. <laughs> hey, did you see that one today? Yeah. Wait, one of them blew up. Uh, they're yeah. all blowing up. Like, was they, it today or yesterday? It was uh, I think it was t- I think it was yesterday. Um They'll make it down all the way, and then it touches the pad, and then yeah. just, and then just explodes. Really?
2: Yeah. Yesterday? So one came down, yeah. uh, you know, all good, all good, this all good, yeah. and boom.
1: This popped. one's the biggest of, so this is the Starship SN10. Yeah. This is the largest so it, of their aircraft. So it
2: did go up and launch its payload at least, right? It well, got the satellite I don't think so.
1: I don't think so. I think no. it made it about, oh man, six miles off the uh, Earth's surface, and then kind of went into a, like a belly flop. Oh, no. Now, they did get it back down, and they controlled the landing. They're saying that this is going to be a win, that they're going to call this thing a win, which I don't know how much those rockets are, but I don't think they're free. Okay, okay. So, it was the
2: Mars prototype rocket. Nails the landing, but then explodes.
1: Well, nails mm-hmm. the landing, but then explodes. See, that's kind of <laughs> that's, the... Yeah, that's, that's right. That's kind of the... You know. Yeah, Parked
2: the car, got out, and forgot to put it in park. You
1: know, I've done that. I've cliff. done I've done that That's before. Right. I did it. No, I've you done didn't. that before. I did it. Man, no, you when didn't. I was when I was in when I was in high school, this is a terrible story. When I was in high school, I, I had this girlfriend and uh, sweet girl. No, you didn't. Yeah, she's a sweet girl. She uh she borrowed my car on Sunday to run home after church. She she ran home and she put the car in her driveway, and then she uh, got out and went inside to get something. And then when she came back out, the car, she had left it in reverse. Oops. And the car had pulled out of the driveway across the street and was inside of a church across the street, <laughs> like like through the wall. <laughs> so when I get there, there's like fire trucks, paramedics, like <laughs> police cars everywhere. Wow. And, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like, well, there's nobody there, luckily. So yeah, yeah, I've, I've I've seen that happen before. Interesting. You know, sometimes, okay. you, sometimes you just. Well, forget. it's like you. She parked,
3: but she said, "Did she park the car?" Yeah, I parked the car. I the car? I didn't really park it though. I so didn't put it in park. Of,
1: <laughs> maybe that's part of what this is. You need then, to be more specific right. whenever you're giving
3: your instructions. It wasn't permanent? So. Yeah yeah we just blew it up after it landed right here so um how is SpaceX doing in the financial realm are they do they do they have any money are they doing any good of there of course not yeah
1: now now tesla is off $100 over the last couple of days so That's, since since tuesday it's off 100 bucks probably just part of the risk off trade but obviously tesla under a little bit of a, a little bit of pressure and and back to the risk off trade and it affecting emerging markets so We've kind of seen uh, emerging markets have a phenomenal year in 2020. And over the last 12 months, specifically, almost every single emerging markets ETF is just about a double off of that March, April low of 2020. Yes. We're going to get a little bit of pullback there. But I believe that this is just the case of we're going to start doing more business. Like we're going to diversify what the term globalization means. So globalization originally, and, and Charles, help me, correct me if I'm wrong in any of this. Globalization originally meant, yeah, we're going we're gonna to be global, but really just means we're going to focus our manufacturing on a few different areas, mm-hmm. right? We're going we're gonna to focus some of, our, uh, some of our more laborious jobs in just a few areas. Well, now we're going to start spreading those things around as these other economies are becoming more educated. They're becoming more financially savvy. So Charles, in your experience... Mm-hmm especially being in Africa or being in Central South America or all the places that you've been, are we really going to see the concept of globalization be a global concept? Um, Are we going to start to see more activity in Africa that's not just extraction of materials?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, gosh, that, that question, like let's go write a few books that answers that question. To, yeah. For me to say like, uh, well, no, here's the answer. It would be like um, yeah. almost cliche, but I, I could kind of hit some high points with, you know, what, where my mind goes when yeah. you ask that. And, and actually it ties back into the inflation talk, which you touched on a, a few minutes ago and we sort of veered off, but um, you know, there are dramatic um, ramifications for both inequality within a nation and inequality between nations. It, it, you know, it, I think it's pretty well hypothesized that um, inequality and, and inflation, you know, are tied. And the, the problem, both within a country and between countries, is that people in power, people who stand to profit, people who stand to control, have no reason Incentive. to let go of that control there's they have no reason to stop yeah. being profitable and so when you talk about globalization you know the the ization part of it is an active verb there they are globalizing and so Up until, you know, we've talked about, you know, the interconnectedness of of world economies and when when you talk about developed nations that, you know, the the cooperation is something that continues to grow and, and there's no going back barring a worldwide catastrophe. But when you start to talk about emerging markets and developing nations... Um, right now you still have like the pure essence of, of what it means to be extracting resources and whatever that might be. And it's not always natural resources. it might be labor or you know different. And so what emerging markets have to do is they, they have to, in, in my opinion, continue to educate their populace about how to maintain to, to grasp and maintain control of those resources. You know, the, the, the statistic that I love to talk about, and of course there's no way to prove this because it's, you know, it's all based on mathematics and, and commodity prices. But if the Congo, if the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is one of the largest countries in the world by land area, were to fully recognize control and the commodification, I'm uh, sorry, the um, like assigning a competitive and fair price on their resources in the world market they not only would be the richest country in the world, Africa would be the richest continent in the world just from the Congo's yeah. economy. That's why. But,
1: now, now, why is that not happening?
0: I mean, so that's the question, right? And if I could tell you that, yeah. I somebody would hand me a Nobel Prize. Um, you know, I, if, because if, if... Well, we're working on Nobel Prizes around <laughs> here, so let's... I'm not going to the the bottom tell you all day long, Nobel Like, Nobel how do you yeah. fix it is the question, right? And in my opinion, it's you, – you have such unbelievable income inequality and, and power imbalance between those who have the resources and those who are taking the resources that there's no reason for it because you will always have somebody – this is such an economics 101 thing, right? Supply and demand of labor, but like you will always have somebody who's willing to work cheaper, to extract all the way down to what is unfortunately slave labor, like like literal slave labor, being employed by militia groups in the Congo to extract the natural resources that are then sold, and then militia leaders keep it all. And so you, you talk about like the, the like the microcosmic Gini coefficient. You know, Gini coefficients are sort of like assigned to nations. But like if you look at Gini coefficients of groups, which is not really a real thing, but you can you can get it. Uh, it's it's sure. perfectly unequal, right? It's ne- it's nearing one where like one person right. will have all of the wealth and they force everybody else to uh, sow, to work. So, yeah, I mean, once you start to educate and equip uh, populations to take their own control, otherwise there's no incentive from those at the top to relinquish it.
1: As you've traveled around, what has been most interesting to you and do you think really has, from a, uh, an economic standpoint, has, has the ability to really kind of jump into that next level of economies.
0: I tell you, man, I am so ardent about what I'm about to tell you, but Kurdistan of Northern Iraq okay. is <laughs> it is the very definition of that. Do you think it'll be an independent country eventually? Um I highly doubt it. I wrote my dissertation on Kurdish rebellion. I spent I spent a good amount of time in northern Iraq, both with my NGO and researching these rebel groups. So this is, this is a story, this is an anecdotal story, but it, it's a perfect illustration of what, at least the point that I'm making. I'm not Kurdish, I'm not an Iraqi citizen, I'm talking as an outside Western, Westerner. You know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this with all due, like, I don't know it all, but this is my opinion. Yeah. There, was a, there was a point after um, the fall of Saddam Hussein, where Kirkuk, um, which is, is technically a part of Iraq proper and not in Kurdistan, was, for all yeah. intents and purposes, kind of up for grabs. And the Kurdish um, forces were on their way to, to Kirkuk to take it, to raise the Kurdish flag over it for the first time in forever. But a ton of Kurds lived there, so like a lot of people wanted it to be, become part of Kurdistan. Kirkuk is like mm-hmm. oil central for that, that part of the country. And right at the last moment, the, the Iranian-backed Kurds, they were heading to Kirkuk, and they got out in front of the Iraqi Kurds and turned and faced them and protected Kirkuk from the incursion of, of the Iraqi Kurds into Kirkuk and they forced them back. It was, it was almost like a scene out of Braveheart, right? Uh, wow. And so the challenge with why I think Kurdistan stands to uh, have real, real challenges with independence is because there is Kurdistan and the PDK, which is the, the Iraqi Kurdish government, but they have real rivals in Iranian-backed Kurds who are in the east, and they, their political agendas do not align, and and they will. Uh, in fact, there's like an un, there's like a, a literal border. Like when I would cross an Iraqi yes. Kurdistan control to, I was still in Iraq, but I was in the Iranian backed Kurdish controlled part of Iraqi Kurdistan. <laughs> I had to cross oh, a border. That's, that's
1: fascinating. Like, and,
0: and so, well, is, yeah. Is it
2: a Sunni Shia issue? You know, it's not
0: actually. Um, okay. It's. Mm. It actually has really nothing to do with that uh, as much as it does um, where resources, power, material are coming from. And actually, when I was in the Iranian-backed part of Kurdistan, again, still in Iraq, I was never in the country of Iran, um, things changed. And, like, I had to be way more careful to not get kidnapped or have an attempt on my life made as a researcher, an American researcher. They're still really friendly guys. I mean, it's, you know, they're still Kurds.
1: Yeah, I was in the Bahamas once, and a, a guy, a guy got kidnapped. A guy I know got kidnapped.
0: No. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. I, he wasn't in. He wasn't in the group I went with, but uh, he was a friend of of one of our interns here. So one of our interns, his like best friend, got kidnapped in the Bahamas and and held and held for ransom. Gosh. And I don't. I can't remember if they paid the ransom. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I just remember like they dumped him. At the like, like the like tied together, bound like you would see in like a movie. Wow. Really? Wow! You know, I just kind of like never pulled up, To
2: me, no one's going to pay for me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> you keep him. You better stay over here. Keep yeah, him.
3: yeah. You, you better stay can. here in Fayetteville. <laughs> but Gosh. just So anyway. No, so anyway
1: I, 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 I just my. My travels and Charles' travels are not the same, and I get that. I was at the Atlantis
3: Resort. Are you trying to kind of parallel (laughs) your lifestyle? I always do this this with Charles. Charles, We're the
1: same. (laughs) Charles, have you got every stamp on your passport yet? Are you getting dangerously close? Um,
0: I've been to 65 countries. Wow, 65 countries. I haven't been to
1: 65 towns. Yeah. So... yeah, so, so that conversation actually leads into the the main part of this conversation, which is the political risks that exist in these emerging economies. And we look at emerging markets and we think, "Man, that's a fantastic asset class with with great potential." And yes, but that is extremely true. But there's some risk out there, and you have to be you have to be aware of those things. The depth that you just went into about all of the different you know rival militias and groups right. and Governments and non governments and sovereign nations that have groups of people that are a kind of for, but also kind of against other yeah. groups. I mean, there's so much political drama. Drama. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a show of uh, like housewives, you know. Like if they were all dictators, real housewives, they should have good. that. They're, why isn't there a, a a real dictators of the Middle East show? I think that's a great think, idea. Can we can we get that going? Well, that would be a great, what a idea. great
3: series. Oh. Huh? It I would watch dictators that. of the Middle
1: East. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like Narcos, kind of, kind of. Well, sort of yeah. like that, yeah. Yeah. but but with oil. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I don't Charles know how could be the common. Yeah, you know, Charles is looking at me right now like. I want to make sure that everybody knows. Charles knows this. I want to make sure everybody knows we don't really know. Like I don't. I don't know if you, I don't even know if that's politically correct to to make light of. But we're not uh, making light of conflict. We're just no.
2: We no. we kid around on this a lot,
1: but yeah. that, it's just us, you know. But in terms of political unrest and obviously the political risks out there, that's a great example of one. And so, give me another one, Charles. Another yeah. another example of some you know significant political risk and mm-hmm. a. Otherwise, economy that would be extremely healthy. Yeah, gosh. So, I mean, these are things. I
0: I, again, I say this with such gusto, but like Libya, and and this is like the the quintessential one, right? I mean, because, but it's more, it's more, it's different now. Because under Gaddafi, while a dictator, he still was doing a decent job at utilizing his country's resources, even though he wasn't necessarily doing good things with them. What happens is Gaddafi gets deposed and murdered, or executed, however you want to look at it. You've got this country now that is, it's it's almost like a cliché how associated with oil Libya is, right? We think, okay, the dictator's gone, but what that creates for an instant is a vacuum. But what every Civil War scholar, including myself, will tell you is conflict never exists in a vacuum. Immediately, that space is filled, right? With whoever is next in line regarding their ability to enforce their will on others' power. And so what the hope was, I think, by the international community was, oh, we're gonna have we're gonna set up this government, it's gonna be a coalition of forces, and people, it's gonna be governed from all these different areas, you know, all these different interests, but that's not what happened. Libya is an enormous country, and each part had their own interests. And so you you see this country that was then set up in such a way where you had warlords become governors, de facto governors, controlling their different parts of Libya. And as a result, no cooperation is, is held because um, every, every general wants their piece of the pie. And the only way to cooperate, excuse me, the only way to make use of a national economy is to cooperate. But to cooperate means to let go of some of your power. And so you see competing factions, competing militias. And and Libya, you know, they're still exporting oil, but like it's it's not by any means the way that if if they were under a stable government um, with stable leaders with the national interests in mind and not their own interests, um, it's it's dramatically less. And and a lot of their oil gets sold to shady places anyways, and it's, it's it's a terrible situation. Yeah, if they were
1: able to create some stability, how big of a threat would that be to some of the other countries in that region? Uh, to oil prices or to the supply of oil. I mean, is there a reason why these other countries kind of like, oh yeah, Libya is not a factor right now. Let's
0: make sure they don't become a factor. Mm. Well, and to be frank, I mean, when you really drill down into what I'm a specialist in academically, transnational um, aspects of civil war are very, very important. And and there are a lot of reasons why places like the Congo, places like Kurdistan, although that's not comparable. I'll take that one out. But places like Libya Remain unstable because international interests, I guess Kurdistan does fall in that. International interests play a role in domestic politics. And until you have pe- people on the outside ready to be willing to let these economies develop, they won't because they're too powerful. And a lot of times, countries don't have interest in seeing places like Libya rise because a strong Libyan economy means a relatively weaker, whatever country economy. And so, if you keep them weak, it's the same way with the Congo. I mean, it sounds conspiratorial, but it's not. If you keep the Congo weak, their prices stay down for their resources. And that's in the best interest of yep. a lot of international players. And it sucks. And it, there's just no yeah. there's no way around that logic. So where? If I'm an
1: investor, right? Because what we know is there's a finite amount of capital mm-hmm. on this planet. Mm-hmm. Capital flows where capital is treated best. And a lot of capital has flown... Flown, uh, <laughs> floated, flown. Sorry, the last the last episode was about the airplane that that uh, blew up over Denver. Oh. I say I say blew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. Like it blew, the engine blew just up over Denver. Just part of it. Just the, just the, that. Just the thing that, that gives it parts. enough thrust to keep it in the air. <laughs> right. So as we've seen you know, capital flow into some of these emerging areas. Is there an area that you think might be primed? They might have just the right political climate right now. They might have the resources. They might have the and that resource might just be <coughs> an educated workforce or it might be um as we diversify out away from Southeast Asia yeah. in terms of manufacturing,
2: where where are we going? What political stability, yeah. Yeah. You know, just, yeah.
1: What areas are you seeing that you think When I come back here in five years, this is going to be a significantly more developed
0: look Mm, than it is today. Yeah. Um, Well, that answer comes in two parts. Number one Mm -hmm. is why is it being developed? And if the answer is China, that's, that's a a, a different ballgame, right? Like I will take trips through the mountains in East Africa through Rwanda, for instance, and all of a sudden, like you'll you'll be stopped in the middle of of a really like literally a forest and you're like what's going on Mm -hmm. there's all these traffic cones and everything and it's a chinese construction crew building roads um so china is i got i got some of that in ghana too i got a lot of that yeah they're building like
1: massive high-rise high-rise buildings and apartments and stuff so i saw a lot of that so what they're
0: doing is they're developing these countries infrastructures Um, With a very long term goal in mind of like having these countries indebted to them later um, and and thereby controlling the economy in kind of a neo. It's almost like a neo neo-colonialist way. Like, it's very yeah. indirect. But so my, my question is, you know, first of all, do you want to be involved in an economy that's going to be heavily indebted in China? And that's sort of where my my knowledge of the situation <clears throat> and investment sort of ends. Um, but with that kind of caveat, I would say um, Rwanda, Ghana, Kurdistan, gosh, Costa Rica always, um, mm-hmm. And, we to go back, by the way. <laughs> I dream about it yeah. every night. And
2: I think is a lot of – Have you spent any time in Colombia? I have. Yeah, Did I, I hear
0: Colombia. Colombia is – Colombia is coming down off of years of civil war with the FARC. There was a, a peace right. treaty, and so I think that a lot of what they have to offer that was being um, blocked by their civil war is, is reopening. I think that I'm catching a lot more about Colombia lately.
1: Also, they had the Narcos show, yeah. and everybody
0: found out where Colombia was,
1: <laughs> and so they were like, oh, that looks that place looks cool. No, now,
3: why Costa Rica? Let's, let's go
1: back to Costa Rica. It's so, probably the most stable, right? The, the so I'm going to let Charles answer
0: this. I have my answer, but I'm going to let Charles answer this. Yeah. Let's go, yeah. go ahead, Sir Charles. I've
2: heard this for years.
0: Yeah. Um, my understanding, and I, I don't do Central American politics as much. I, I, I know a lot about El Salvador, and that's about it. Um, but my understanding was that Costa Rican government for the longest time was basically like we don't need or want any outside influence in our politics whatsoever. And they disallowed, um, especially from the United States and the Soviet Union, any sort of um like in quote unquote investment. Um and in the long run it played out where you know they didn't have any of what we're talking about, transnational conflicts um, being imposed upon them, and as a result. That isolation sort of paid off. Um, that's that's what I understand to be true, but I, I I don't know if it's exactly right or not. Didn't have any. Now they're
3: ready to quid open pro up pro quo. Well, and,
0: and, and no I, obligation to the.
1: I think sense. in terms of emerging economies, you're going to find that Costa Rica is probably one of the more educated. They you know they call them the valleys, right? So you have the you've got Silicon Valley. And then whatever they're calling Austin now, you know, basically. Silicon Gulch. Yeah, the Silicon Gulch. I think that's the name. And then now, it, you've, yeah. now you've got the Central Valley, which is uh, kind of the San Jose region of, of Costa Rica, and a ton of technology is moving mm-hmm. there. You know, you get off the plane in Costa Rica, and there's a building with Axiom, Facebook, NVIDIA. They're all down there. Everybody's down there. They've got really? massive offices. It looks like what Northwest Arkansas is for Walmart, yeah. they are for technology. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's like every, the who's who of the tech conference down there. So it's, I found that in, in in my two trips down so far and many more to come, they're just a very educated, like very well educated and a very unique culture. There really isn't a lot of outside influence, which makes it beautiful and, and preserved. And mm-hmm. it's cool. Like it's a cool place to go visit. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it's like, it's like you got to actually see Central America, not not Cancun, right. you know, not, right. not like the version of Central America or I guess maybe right. Mexico, but not the version that, that they want you to, you know, that they kind of think you're going to be comfortable with, but like you actually got to see it. It was cool. And they're also doing a lot
0: with sustainability in that country. Now there's, there's like whole Mm -hmm. villages now that are like totally sustainable. Like as far as like energy and stuff like that, like 100% green. And they're putting a lot of influence. uh, Excuse me. They're putting a lot of uh, uh, like impetus (laughs) on, yeah, on that type of thing. I I think other places to, to just to look at and to watch um, is the Balkans. That, that may be a pejorative term at this point, but like, uh, what was, you know, Yugoslavia, all those nations, people, it's still like, it has such uh, recent negative connotations on the world stage, but like, it's a totally yeah. peaceful place now. Um, yeah, I was just yeah. in Kosovo two years ago and I mean, it, it's like, it's like being in any American city, um, in, in their capital city there. Uh, you know, the same goes for, for Serbia, which is now, you know, Serbia was like the, the farming parts of Yugoslavia. So their economy was really underdeveloped at the breakup of Yugoslavia. But there's so much potential, um, as well as all those surrounding countries. Uh, I think just a lot of people stay out because they feel like, oh, this is a conflicted area. But it, it, it's the exact opposite, yeah. even though there's still tension between Serbia and Kosovo. And I don't know. I, I just think it's a place that has been widely ignored, but it's going to be growing. Yeah. Croatia is, is big time in in the tourist industry. It's it's kind of awakening to uh, a lot of people finally realizing, like, oh my gosh.
1: I keep trying to tell Don Croatia is the spot to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dubrovnik, is that the? Uh, I have not bought in, Charles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm like you should you should go to Croatia. He's like, I'm going to
0: Paris. Uh, well, he has a, he has
3: about talked me into Costa Rica, yeah, he go Costa Rica. almost got me talked into that. What, what yeah. people
0: don't understand is that Europeans have already discovered Costa. Rica, uh, excuse me, have already discovered Croatia. Um, like yes. it's it's everybody knows to go to Croatia if you're living in Europe. But but Americans are like they're just now f- finally figuring it out. Yeah.
3: Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah.
0: Eastern Europe already shows up on the map
1: as one of the hotspots. Okay. So we're already starting to see some of that in Eastern Europe now. I think. I think a lot of that is just the fact that Russia still kind of gets considered, especially kind of the, the developed part of Russia still gets considered Eastern Europe. Mm. And that's the part that's that's probably still on the radar the most, you know, right. even though um, I don't know if you guys know this. Elon Musk snubbed Putin <laughs> on a on a basically a podcast. <laughs> so basically, oh, yeah. so Putin was going to be on the podcast. He may have even joined the podcast and Elon Musk never showed. And it's like, dude, what are you doing?
3: Maybe that's why that bomb blew up. That
1: rocket blew up. Yeah, <laughs> dude, what are you doing, man? You yeah. don't snub Putin. Yeah. Uh-uh. Jeez. Of so anybody, of anybody, don't don't snub don't Putin. Don't snub that guy. So, what do you see like developing, like for you personally, but also professionally? Like, like where's where's this going for you? Do you plan on, um, you know, United African. Like you're going to be the president of the Eurozone, but in Africa. Is that, is that
0: your, is that your end goal here? No. um, You know, to be honest, like where I've found myself is being very passionate about what could be known as like comprehensive peace building, like, like large scale initiatives that address systems that lead to conflict Uh, where, you know, if you, if you bring, a box of food you know for uh, a, a needy family somewhere it, it's it's kind of what's referred to as a band-aid right um yeah. even if you have a thousand boxes of food all you're doing is leading people yeah. to, to eat for a week and then the problem still persists and so what i see happening is you know, these types of conversations i i point out all these issues like the you know, structural violence that takes place that leads to inequality and lack of opportunity and a decline and a lack of education, how do you actually address those large-scale issues? And that's where we're heading you know, with my education um, and like my understanding of, of what it means to apply theoretical peace building to practical peace building. Um, and then hopefully writing a lot about it and having conferences and networking and equipping my fellow peace builders, both at home and abroad to think in these larger scale manners. And, and, you know, if I had my chance to change the world, like what I would do is to help revolutionize the way people think about development, where it's not some benevolent act that like satiates some white savior mentality, um, but rather actually listens to local issues, um, and, and it equips and connects and networks between these players who have mutual interests in seeing economies um, and communities succeed. So be on the lookout. I'll have a New York Times bestseller at some point. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, there's no okay. doubt about that. And he's already written one book. Uh, it's okay. a children's book.
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: Yeah, children's he's re- book. He, well, first he's going to replace Dr. Seuss. <laughs> okay. So first he's doing that. <laughs> yeah. Could be. I've got a book no, coming out I about
0: Curtis Rebellion, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, is it a children's book about Curtis Rebellion? Because I've been wanting to read the kids that,
0: (laughs) can we please get one
1: of those? Um, no man, that's awesome. And, and obviously I can't wait for the next time we get to sit around some Ethiopian food, whatever other adventure that you take me on that I am a hundred percent down for. I can't wait to just kind of sit with you and Abby, uh, reconnect, hear more about what's going on in your lives and worlds and and then you know solve the world's problems as we typically do whenever. so you, man we really appreciate you joining us yeah absolutely absolutely thanks for having me on it's been great uh we want to do this again with you so here before too long we'll circle back i want to know uh obviously whenever this book comes out i want to know about it how far out are we talking on the book um a couple a couple of weeks
0: yeah no uh probably no. i <laughs> would say this was march it'll probably be out in the fall
1: okay that might be perfect so Hey, if you're, uh, if you're not in the Mr. Market Podcast group, please join the group. That's on Facebook. If you haven't seen our page, Sphere Wealth Management, on Facebook as well. And if you haven't checked out the website, spherewealth.com. Really appreciate you listening. We'll talk soon.
2: Thanks for listening.